You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dunn. That's right. The Co-Main Event Podcast has returned with another scintillating episode. I'm your co-host from ESPN.com. My name is Chad Dundas. At the top of the show, this would normally be the time when I would introduce the other co-host of the Co-Main Event Podcast, Mr. Ben Folks, as working at MMAfighting.com. But this week on episode lucky number 13, (laughs) uh, we have some breaking news. Well, I guess it's not really breaking news anymore, but it should have been. We've got some a, a, a personal change, a life decision to discuss in the life of, of your co-host, Ben Folks. Ben, uh, today it was announced that you are moving your shop from MMAfighting.com to USA Today slash MMA Junkie, which, among other things, makes me not even sure how to introduce you for the I like podcast. That. So uh, talk about it. The more confused you are, the, the happier I am. Talk about it. Tell us, tell us what's up. Ease our minds. Explain the, the situation here. Look, I'm not going anywhere. I know you're thinking this is going to be the part where I go out for cigarettes and you never see me again. But it's, it's okay. Everybody remain calm. Everything's fine. I'm just moving my shop on over there to, to MMA Junkie and USA Today. So that means, hey, you're staying in a hotel they give you that free USA Today, bam, another chance to read my stuff. That's, oh, all, that that's good, good for point. everybody, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, but, uh, you know, I think as you know, Chad, and as, as many of us in the MMA media know, the, the guys at MMA Junkie are just all on top of shit, no matter what it is. Fact. All, all the breaking news and, and coverage of every single MMA promotion under the sun, they got it on lockdown. And so, uh, you know, I've been shaking my fist at those guys from afar for a long time. And they came and, and made me a very good offer for a job that uh, really appealed to me. A chance to write a few more long-form features, focus more on columns, that kind of stuff. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, a, a chance to join that team and uh, bring my talents to, to mesh with their talents. Well, I thought uh, we were going the decision there for a second. <laughs> <laughs> the decision's been made, so, so it's too late for that. And, you know... ESPN kept sending my tapes back, maybe because yeah. I sent them a bunch of VHS tapes, and I don't know if they even <laughs> use those anymore. Uh, but yeah, you know, everything's everything's fine. Nobody needs to freak out that uh, I'm I'm throwing them for a loop here or anything. Co-main event podcast will proceed as scheduled. That that was a, an important point that I clarified early on there. Uh, important for me too. Yeah, not, <laughs> yes. not that I was asked. <laughs> but yeah, the CME rolls on as usual. I mean, who knows? Maybe the CME will even get bigger and better now. Uh, tell me how I'm supposed to introduce you, because I feel like I just got the old introduction committed to memory. I don't think it's that hard. You just say... just say. You want me to say USA Today and MMA Junkies Ben Folks? Yeah, or? there you go. So you have two things that I... I had call? two things before. I was MMA Fighting and Sports Illustrated. Yeah, but I never even said Sports Illustrated. Well, maybe now is the time for you to consider why you didn't. Well, I'm gonna have to come up with another thing to say about myself then. Because well, yeah, frankly, Here, this, this is seem... what I'm saying though. Now is a perfect time for you to take that part-time job down at noons. Uh, they need somebody to work the register at the gas station. I'm telling you, you'd be perfect for it. Graveyard shift. You can you can work on your writing while you're down there. Oh, good point. Yeah, take yeah. my laptop down there. And you love their corn dogs. I do. Yeah. Uh, ease everyone's mind though, because I remember several years ago when you first crossed over from being a muckraking <laughs> comedy rumor mill stylist on Cage Potato and jumped over to MMA fighting. Everyone said, "Oh my God, these corporate drones are going to ruin Ben Folks." I saw some. Who of said the, that? I said, "Well, I did." Okay. Uh, I saw some of those same concerns on. Uh, I actually didn't say that. Other people said that. Uh, I saw some of those same concerns on Twitter. What, what about these people? What of these people saying is this is the old Ben folks going to be keeping it real over on USA Today? Look, I'm still I'm still dropping the F bomb on the CME podcast. I'm still having my friend Sir Nigel come in here and make jokes about where he uses the word cunt, I believe, wow. uh, completely blowing us blowing us away there. Uh, nothing's changing. You know, I, getting a little in the in the corporate world, sure. You know, it's not like uh, MMA fighting was exactly a mom and pop operation when I joined it, and it was run by AOL Sports. So uh, everything's fine. I, I've done the I've done the corporate thing before and and managed to to keep my my level headedness, my you know, my zest, whatever makes me me. 
I yeah. think it's going to be fine. No, the people at home I'll can't. have more money. The people at home can't see you, but that claim would be a lot more believable <laughs> if you weren't wearing a sweater vest and a bow tie right now. Look, and a 1920s-style straw boater hat. I'm going to a Republican meet-and-greet after this, <laughs> so I didn't want to have to change. All right, I'm glad we got that out of the way. Today's main event podcast, as usual, will proceed in three rounds. Round number one, we will discuss this weekend's action from what I like to call UFC 150 Mixed Feelings. <laughs> nice. I like uh, that. We'll examine Ben Henderson's controversial split decision win over Frankie Edgar, and we might even take a look at what constitutes a robbery. Oh. In round two, brothers got a hug and sometimes knock each other the fuck out. Donald Cerrone defeated uh, Melvin Gillard this weekend, also at UFC 150, and we will discuss that, I assume, at length during, Uf or during round number two because it was awesome. was awesome. And, uh, I think the discussion will be about let's say roughly 10 times longer than the fight itself. <laughs> That's probably true. Uh, and in round number three, uh, Ronda Rousey returns to action this weekend. So I assume that operators are standing by for 12 year olds everywhere to call up and order showtime. She will be <laughs> fighting Sarah Kaufman. My parents said it was okay. <laughs> She'll be fighting Sarah Kaufman at strike force. Uh, but before we get into that discussion, as always, we're going to cruise through some, uh, listener mail, uh, week in and week out. We ask you to, uh, Submit questions, comments, concerns to the podcast by going to our website, comaineventpodcast.com, and clicking the top of the, the link at the top of the page, email the podcast. Uh, we got what I can only accurately describe as a shitload of mail it was this a shitload. week. A metric uh, shitload. And so before we answer the questions, maybe we should talk a little bit about what we're going to be doing on next week's show, because next week's show, we think, might be a little bit different than, than the normal episode. Yeah. Uh, because By this, necessity, but also because shit ton of mails coming in yeah 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 so ne next week this weekend we have the the strike force show featuring rousey versus kaufman but uh then we get a week off before ufc 151 on september 1st so since we have so much mail kind of already in our in our uh coffers and our mail we, coffers and we know we're going to get more this week we decided next week it would be fun to do a show uh essentially called all questions answered or some questions answered, or as, the, all, as the case may be. All questions considered yeah. for answering. All questions considered and the good ones answered. So what, yeah. I think what we're going to do next week uh, is, you know, if we get a fair number of questions this week and, and using some of the ones that we're going to keep on hold from last week, we're just going to do a whole show where all we do is answer listener mail. Yeah, so, and I mean, let's be honest. Odds are what we're going to do is we're going to start out answering listener mail. We're probably going to use some of that listener mail as a chance to, to riff, if you will, to go off on our own private little rants about what have you, and then circle back to some more listener mail. And this will go on for roughly an hour. Uh, but, you know, a little something different. Yeah. And we're getting so many damn questions. It, we would be remiss if we did not find a way to answer more questions. That's right. And I hope it'll be fun for you. I hope you'll like it. If you don't like it, chill the fuck out. It's only one week, and, <laughs> yeah. and the week after we'll be back to doing our normal thing. And be, you can ask about anything you want. It doesn't have to be, you yeah. know, you don't have to just ask about what happened the last weekend or what's going to happen next weekend. Ask about anything you want. What's Chad's favorite sexual position? I don't know. Ask him. Dog you know? style. Next question. Well, okay. You see, I was thinking you were going to go with something more inventive, but you went. You took the easy well, route. I was put on the spot. It's the only <laughs> position I could think of. Anyway, let's Your do... Your wife is a lucky, lucky lady. <laughs> let's do uh, listener mail for this week. Our first question of the week comes from Andrew, who asks, What did you guys think of the Mayhem Miller Dana White banter on the Twitter machine? That shit was whack. And unfortunately... Since we received this question from Andrew, we have to make an addendum to the story because yeah. uh, as broke earlier this afternoon, and I would assume that by the time this podcast becomes available for public consumption, everyone will know. But TMZ has reported that Mayhem Miller was arrested today, uh, apparently nude and having broken into a church and yeah, having Orange County. Uh, fired off a fire extinguisher, I assume among other things. Uh, yeah, did a little property damage from the sound of it. Inside the church. Uh Ordinarily, we would probably take this time to mock someone who did that, but honestly, it's kind of bumming me out. Yeah. Uh, you, you, Ben, know, or I've spent some time around Mayhem Miller. I have not, but I always considered him one of the more likable guys in the sport. Even, you know, when his public persona is that he does the Mayhem Miller thing, uh, but as a human being, I think he's one of the smarter 
fighters out there and, and and was one of the more likable guys just on a personal level. So you spend time around the guy. Maybe you can speak to this in a little bit more detail than uh, than I can. But but even from afar, from the outside looking in, it, it kind of makes my heart hurt to think that maybe he is uh, undergoing some kind of personal crisis. Yeah. Hey, you know, just like you said, I feel more bummed out than anything because he is. He's such a good guy. He's a smart guy. He is unique among fighters in a lot of ways you know and like you said the persona is kind of out there i would have you know if you'd have told me mayhem got arrested i'd be like okay so i mean he got arrested for acting up at a dave and busters or something you know uh this makes you worry about and and that that the the twitter back and forth that he had with dana white which got weird got yeah, real got, weird got weird in a hurry um and was not even one of those instances where you were like, well, Dana White is just being an asshole to someone and they're being an asshole back. It was just really weird. And then this on top of it, it seems like the guy's going through some some rough stuff. Uh, and, man, heart goes out to him because he is a, a legitimately good dude. There are a bunch of people, a bunch of fighters in MMA who, if this type of thing happened to them, some kind of misfortune befell them, uh, you would... You, you wouldn't exactly point and laugh, but you wouldn't be as bummed out as you are with Mayhem. You yeah. hope, hope he's okay. Uh, hope, you know, whatever's going on, he's able to get it sorted out. I mean, I'm going to say a part of me does think it's kind of awesome that he chose to break into a church and go all, go all nuts. So, I mean, hey, that, that, there's just a lot of fun imagery <laughs> when you think about Mayhem Miller breaking into a church and shooting off a fire extinguisher. But that can't be a, a sign of anything good going on in his life right now. Question two this week comes from Nick. He asks, since John Jones has signed with Nike, I'm concerned, he put concerned in all caps, that he will never bump up to heavyweight and risk losing his title and sponsorship, thus condemning us to watching another 205-pound reign of rematches like Chuck Liddell. Parenthetically, here comes the question. Are you (laughs) concerned by this too? And then again, parenthetically, see what I did there. End parentheses. I'm not sure if I do see what he did there. Well, I, he, yeah, I think he just said concerned twice. Like, he's concerned, wants to know if we're concerned. So what he's saying is like he's making a statement and then finding a way to kind of act like it's a question. Don't they all? <laughs> Most people do. Either that or just say something and say, sup with that, right, which I also right. like. Yeah. I think it's a pretty sweet move. Um, Wait a minute. What's, is the assumption there that if he were to lose a fight that there goes his sponsorship? Well, I, I think it's actually an interesting question, and it's one that I had not honestly considered before I, I talked or I saw it online from a couple of different people. But I think that the concern is if fighters, John Jones specifically, because maybe he's the only one that we can point to at this point that has this kind of sponsorship, but like if fighters started to make the bulk of their money from sponsorships or even make a lot of money from sponsorships from, from big time sponsors, would they then be more cautious with their fighting careers because they wouldn't want to suffer a setback in the sport and therefore maybe put those sponsorships at risk? I don't think that you would put your sponsorships at risk by losing one or two fights. I mean, I think as far as your performance in the cage, you're going to put your standing in the UFC at risk that way before you put your sponsorships at risk. I think sponsors are are generally pretty good at sticking with a guy over stuff like that. The stuff that your sponsors won't stick with you through is crashing your car into a, a telephone pole or, you know, some kind of yeah. lurid personal details. That's when your sponsors drop you. Sponsors don't drop you just because you lose a fight here and there. Yeah, except Nike did stay with Tiger Woods, right, when when the Tiger Woods thing broke. I, did, don't, I, I didn't think, think they did. No, I, I know. I think Buick dropped him, but I thought Nike was one of the ones that stayed stayed the whole time. Remember, because right after the thing broke, didn't they make that commercial with, er, with Earl Woods where he was, like, t- talking about all the things he'd learned, and it was, like, kind of controversial because Earl Woods was already dead, and they used this yeah, he, speech from, from somewhere else that uh, – that you, been you, you obviously know a lot more about this than I do. Well, I'm a little bit more, you know, knowledgeable than you on certain topics. Like golf? Yeah, golf being one of them. Okay, well, but I mean, again, I don't think that that Nike would say to John Jones, hey, if you, if you moved up a weight class and lost a fight, screw it, then you're damaged goods and we're going to drop you. I don't, think, I don't think that's a concern. I wouldn't say I'm concerned in yeah. all caps yeah. uh, that, that that would keep him from going up. I would think there would be other concerns for him. Uh, that would keep him from going to heavyweight. And the same thing that all those guys have, but when you're a champion at a weight class and you're beating the hell out of everybody there, why do you want to go fight some bigger guys? Right. You're clearly doing pretty well. Yeah, and I I don't know, man. It seems like everything that John Jones does, we we 
we find a reason to criticize it and kind of uh, hate on him for various reasons. Uh, I'm I'm happy for the guy that he has this Nike sponsorship. Hope, hopefully it opens up the doors for some more fighters to, to get the same. Uh, question number three this week comes from Giles Phillips, who asks, are groin shots still illegal in women's MMA? And I believe the answer is yes. Right? Yes. Somebody asked us on Twitter, like, uh, after I think after the Invicta fights was on, uh, and I kind of opened it up to whether to female fighters and uh, other people who I follow on Twitter or follow me. And a couple of female fighters got back and said, absolutely, they're illegal with good reason. Uh, even uh, Nick Lembo from the New Jersey State Athletic Control Board uh, chimed in on Twitter and said, yes, that they're absolutely. And I believe, I can't remember who it was, but one uh, female fighter said that she had been need there uh, during a fight and uh, it caused a cut. Oh, ouch. Yeah. Ouch is right. Yeah. Uh, I imagine even though the obvious physiological differences, it probably still hurts to get hit. Yeah. In the swimsuit area, uh, <laughs> yes. even if you're a female fighter. You know, the thing was, somebody mentioned this to me on Twitter during the Max Holloway-Justin Lawrence fight this weekend, where uh, Max Holloway kicked him in the groin a couple times accidentally. And it was one of those things where I think Josh Rosenthal told him the first time, hey, I realized that wasn't intentional, but, you know, if you do it again, I'll have to take a point away. And then he did it again, and nothing really happened to him. Called his bluff. Yeah. yeah. And somebody was like, well, you know, he didn't mean to do it. True. I, I, it did not look like he meant to do it. At the same time, to the kicky, intention is kind of irrelevant. When you're getting kicked in the balls, it doesn't matter that much whether the person meant to kick you in the balls. Yeah. It and still hurts. Kind of refers to a point that I have made seemingly for years now in that intent should not really matter in the in, when it comes to the enforcement of rules in sport uh, and even in fighting because – uh, if you play in the NFL and you grab a guy's face mask, even if it's unintentional, they actually have a whole n- different penalty yeah. for that. Well, no, they and, changed the penalty, so it's all oh, personal it's all 15 foul now. yards yeah. now? Oh, see, so it doesn't even matter. Ha! My point is even stronger than I thought it was. <laughs> yes, it is. How, how rarely it happens in that how direction. How rarely that occurs. Anyway, uh, that's listener mail for this week. Like we said before, if you want to email us a question or comment, this would be the week to do it. Because next week we are going to try to shoot through as many goddamn questions as we can. And as long as you don't say anything homophobic or otherwise distasteful, we leave that up to Sir Nigel Longstock. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, send us a question and you have a good chance that we will answer it during next week's show. Yeah, maybe we'll even try to see just sheer volume how many we can get through. Maybe we can set a system of, like, rewards for ourselves. Oh, I would like a reward system. Yeah. I've been waiting to get my reward for some time. <laughs> maybe maybe we get a, a box of pizza in here, and, you know, every time we hit, you know, we hit five, then you can have a slice. We hit ten, you can have another slice. Like that. Excellent. This thing Our sound quality is typically so great that I'm sure that just having grease and pieces of pepperoni <laughs> flying everywhere would only increase it. Anyway, uh, coming up right now, we're going to get into UFC 150 talk uh, because we are about to roll straight into round number one. Round one. Saturday night at UFC 150. uh, In the main event, Ben Smooth Henderson retained his lightweight title with a split decision win over Frankie the Answer Edgar in their rematch of a fight uh, earlier this year. Yeah, February. Uh, And uh, maybe the kids are just addicted to drama. I don't know what the deal is. Well, hey. Get off Chad Dundas' lawn. The decision was not necessarily clear-cut. Let's let's put it that way. Uh, I thought Frankie Edgar won. I thought that he was going to be announced as the winner, to be honest with you, between the end of the fight and... uh, and the, uh, the the announcement of the verdict. Uh, but at the same time, I didn't feel like it was, for a number of reasons, a, divi- a decision that I was going to grouse about too much. Um, a lot of people felt differently. Ben, I know that you feel strongly about this. So uh, well, uh, go, go I, ahead, man. Kick it off. I feel Let's strongly, get the rant going. <laughs> I feel strongly in the sense that I don't know how a lot of other people feel as strongly as they do that it was some kind of outrageous robbery. That's that's the way I feel strongly about it is that other people feel too strongly, which is weird. Is there a topic in mixed martial arts, however, that people do not feel too strongly about? (laughs) Well, okay, but here's the thing. I mean, I feel like at this point we've all seen enough fights. We've seen enough close decisions that after that fight, five rounds, you know, most of them so close that, you you know, if you scored it for the other guy, 
I'm not going to yell at you about it. You know, I would, I would understand. I would see how you might have seen it for the other guy. At that point, haven't we all seen, he's seen this play out enough that when they're standing there in the middle of the cage, we're ready for just about anything. Like, yeah. What could they have said that would have surprised you? A yeah. draw wouldn't have surprised me. No. A win for Frankie Edgar wouldn't have surprised no. me. No, that's, that's a solid point. And in fact, there seems to be something inherent in the kind of like scrappy, never say die fighting style of Frankie Edgar that produces that kind of result. And maybe even to a Counter large... punching doesn't, does not help, I think. Yeah, I think, and even to a larger extent, I'm starting to wonder if this is essentially just going to be the norm at a lot of the lighter weight classes where, you know, guys get stopped less often, there are fewer knockouts, uh, and in addition, like, dudes are just faster. Yeah, so, like, nobody's getting it's, tired. It's hard to keep track of the action. for It's harder for Judo Gene LaBelle to see what's happening inside the cage. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, we, we've seen a few results like this where, like, the... Uh, Uriah Faber, Dominic Cruz fight, right. which I thought that they did, the, you know, I thought they got the decision right in that one, Me but too. certainly Uriah Faber thought, uh, 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 Prez protested loudly and long that he thought that he won that fight. I feel like we've yeah, seen Yeah, but you it. didn't hear that same uh, backlash from the fans True, that you're yeah, hearing this one. This one has and this certainly one I, raised people's ire. I wonder if, if some of it has to do with that Frankie Edgar obviously has a lot more fans than Ben Henderson does, and maybe they're a little more vocal, uh, but... You know, and again, we both scored it for Frankie Edgar. Yeah, three to two is yeah. how uh, how I scored it for. But again, I just feel like when it is three to two, and when so many of those rounds are close, even if I feel like the the guy who who should have won in my view did not get it, I realize that this is subjective enough that I can't really get too mad if as long as it's close. It's like somebody brought this up on Twitter. I can't remember who it was, but somebody was saying to me, "Oh, it's like saying you can't complain." If they call it a touchdown in football when the baller got, you know, the, the running back got stopped at the one inch line or something, it's not like that. And here's why because in football, you can go back and look at the replay, and there's an objective reality. You can see where the ball is, did it cross the goal line or not. You know, as long as you get a good shot of it and you can see it, you can answer that question. There, it's, it's, it's an either or. It's not that way in fighting. When, th- when two guys go five rounds, and you're asking, you know, you go around to three different people sitting at cage side and say, what do you think? Who'd you give it to? That's, there's no objective reality. It, it's all opinion-based. That's the problem with it. That, that's the problem with arguing about it when it's that close, is you've got to realize, if you've seen this play out before, that as long as the judges don't completely fuck up, and they will completely fuck up, that's why I want to save my will. outrage for when they obviously and clearly fuck up. And I don't want to, you know, deplete my outrage levels by getting mad about when it's a close fight and that you could make an argument either way. Uh, yeah, I agree with you. And I hope that in a, in a minute or so we can talk more at length about why this is a particularly good one for us to just let go. You know, why this is one that we should just move on from and get over. However, I will say when it comes to both discussing and thinking about the lightweight division, this puts a guy like me in kind of an awkward situation because I thought Frankie Edgar won both fights against Ben Henderson. So, and I know one of our solemn vows is that we're not supposed to talk about light, you know, we're not supposed to talk about rankings, but this week Don't you do it. for ESPN, Don't I had to make it. my lightweight top 10 rankings. What uh, do I do? You know, I mean, uh, Frankie Edgar is just one, two and one in his last four fights, but... But you feel like in he should have view, won. In my view, I thought he won. So then it becomes like this jury nullification thing where you're like, yeah, that guy had a pound of weed on him. I, I don't dispute that, but I don't think weed should be illegal. Therefore, I vote not guilty. Which is one of the reasons why keeping an MMA top 10 is bullshit. <laughs> Man, it's just one of the many. But yeah, no, like I said, this is one that I feel like is particularly good for us to be able to let go of and just kind of let be. Not because I think Benson Henderson beat. Frankie Edgar, I don't, but I think that this is a good one for us to let go, if for no other reason than for Frankie Edgar's sake, because this is a dude who for the last two years has fought only three different guys, right? Uh, I think we talked about it the night of the fight, the last, or did we talk about this on last week's episode? It gets to be a blur for me. We talked about the last guy, the last guy that Frankie Edgar fought. Who wasn't BJ Penn, Graham yeah, Edward, or that was on last show, yeah. was Matt Veach in 2009 yeah. Matt on, a, Veach. on a fight that was on Spike TV. Uh, and and 
for, at this point, I think we need to let this one go just because even for, and I, and I'm, I don't want to be one of these guys that thinks Frankie Edgar needs to drop to featherweight because I think, you know, he's competed almost shockingly well as a small dude who for the last two years has essentially been fighting small welterweights. Uh, I, I don't want to be one of those guys, but at the same time, even for non-competition based reasons, the shortest distance between Frankie Edgar and another shot at the UFC title is at featherweight. Yeah, I think it is as a practical concern. If you were giving Frankie Edgar career advice, then I think that you tell him to go to featherweight because that's where he's going to get a shot and that's where he can find immediate life. I mean, if he wins one fight down there, then he fights for a title pretty much. Whereas if he stays at lightweight, he has to wait for Ben, ben Henderson to lose or he has to go on quite an incredible run while Ben Henderson uh, you know, beats a bunch of different challengers, and we, and you know, it comes back full circle to to Frankie. Here's the thing, though. You mentioned how you thought that he won that first fight, right? I did, yeah. And the decision did not go his way, right? Did you think he fought on Saturday night like a guy who had learned the appropriate lesson from that? Because he definitely thought he won that first fight against Ben Anderson. Do you think that he fought like a guy who said? all right, screw it. I've either got to take the judges out of the equation or make it so obvious that they cannot ignore me. Because I don't think he fought that way. Oh, man, I think that's a hard question. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what else you want the guy to do, really, in the fight. Um, I think he probably did everything he could to try to stop it. I, uh, I, I don't think so. Really? I think he fought, uh, especially down the stretch there, like he was trying to win a decision and thought he was going to win a decision. Man, I just don't see when you're fighting a guy who's that much bigger than you are and has that much of like a reach advantage, and you could even argue uh, kind of a, a physical advantage. I don't know if it, I want to say in speed, but like certainly in athleticism on the feet. I, I don't know like what you can do to to. I feel like if he would have gone out there and gone balls to the wall and like did the Donald Cerrone thing and sprinted right into uh, into Ben Henderson's attack that he probably would have got knocked yeah, out. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I mean, that's the other end of the spectrum. I'm not saying he has to go all the way in that direction. But at the same time, I think that we should see by now that judges don't necessarily favor the dude who is sitting back and waiting to counterpunch. That's, that's a hard way to win a decision. Like, we saw it, I think, in, or at least... I saw it, I don't know, in the Invicta fight between uh, Sarah McMahon and uh, Shayna Baszler, right? Where Shayna Baszler was doing the better, uh, more effective counterpunching. Mm -hmm. um, but Sarah McMahon was initiating those exchanges and coming in with what looked like, you know, heavy power shots, even if they weren't all landing and she was getting hit back in return. I think that when the judges are looking at that stuff, they don't have the punch stats numbers in front of them. And it's five minutes. You're looking at five minutes of fighting. And at the end of it, they're supposed to just assign like a numerical value to it. They're going off an impression a lot of the times. They're not going off of remembering one or two exchanges. They're going off of what felt like happened there. And you have an advantage if you're the guy going first on those exchanges, coming forward and, and looking to, to engage. You have the advantage over the counterpuncher, all, all, all other things being equal. Yeah, but to, to speak a little bit more to your previous point, don't you think it's sort of a pitiful and sad commentary on the sport at large to, to think that Frankie Edgar's attitude in a fight that he believes he's winning should be, oh man, I don't want to leave this in the hands of the judges, to use one of the sport's more abominable cliches. <laughs> like, I need to go out there and just like throw caution to the wind, and maybe I'll get knocked out, but maybe I won't. But that's a cliche because it's true. Yeah, most of them are. Right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But I mean, that's what I'm saying is that if you felt like he got screwed over by the judges once, uh, then I would think that it would it would necessarily make you adjust your strategy or at least try and make it clearer that you are winning all of these rounds. Uh, and I thought maybe he just had a little too much faith that that the judges were going to see things his way. I, I think you can make the same accusation toward Ben Henderson. I think Ben Henderson fought a lot of those rounds like all right, we'll try and keep it even, keep it even, final minute and a half, uh, you know, we'll turn it on and, and try and win it that way, which tactically might be kind of smart. I, I just don't know, especially if you want people to start looking at you like, yeah, this guy's the champion, this guy's at the king of the hill there. Uh, it's not going to happen that way. you got to go out there and, and crush somebody at least once or twice before people start to think of you as that kind of champion. He's not there yet. Yeah, and, and maybe when it's all said and done, uh, this works out best for everybody because – Henderson's going to get to go fight Nate Diaz, which I think is a fun fight that yeah, we're all looking that's forward a hell of a to. Fun fight. And I think ultimately you'll probably see Frankie Edgar go to featherweight, where one win and he's probably in the in the cage with with Jose Aldo, and and who knows, man, probably has a good good chance to bring home the gold there. Well, I just hope that we can get whatever happens. Ben Henderson fights Nate Diaz. 
please let's just let them fight once please <laughs> yes for uh-huh. for christ's sake let them fight once whatever happens move on just move on and then and there's, there's a bunch of interesting stuff happening in the lightweight division i maybe get donald cerrone fighting anthony pettis i mean a lot of fun stuff coming up let's just let's charge right into it Charge right into the future. I agree with you. And I think, I mean, there's too much talent at, at 155 pounds, and I think that there's too much talent individually in Ben Henderson and Frankie Edgar for us to just keep holding the title up for rematch after rematch after rematch. So uh, I hope that we get it straightened out and we can we can just do it one time from here on out. Anyway, that's our discussion of the main event of UFC 150 for round number one. Before we get into round number two, it's that time again oh, shit. for both your and my favorite recurring feature on the co-main event podcast we're going to welcome in the world's leading theatricalist self-proclaimed sir nigel longstock for another edition of master tweet theater and now master tweet theater that's right we welcome back to the show our friend and yours, noted theatricalist, Sir Nigel Longstock. Sir Nigel, how are you? Good day to you, sirs. <laughs> how have you been? I'm very well, thank you. I've been preparing for a new role. Oh, uh, a, another new role? Yes, a brand new role in the stage adaptation of Gleaming the Cube. <laughs> I play a local librarian who does not like skateboarding. <laughs> oh, that sounds like a perfect role for you, actually. That sounds like a major role in this particular production. I believe I am the protagonist, yes. <laughs> well, I'll not tempt fate by asking you where you're finding these stage productions in this small town that does not do a whole lot of live theater. And instead, we'll roll right into Master Tweet Theater. Uh, for those of you who don't know how it works, Sir Nigel will read us uh, five tweets uh, that come from someone in the MMA community, not necessarily a fighter. Uh, and Chad and I will do our damnedest to try and guess who it is. So, Nigel, hit us with the first one. <clears throat> Let us begin. <coughs> Tweet the first. I would like to thank all my family, fans, supporters, and all my sponsors, and also can't forget my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Huh. Wow. Okay. I see what he's doing here. He's bringing us a somebody, clearly somebody who, who fought this weekend and won and is thanking his Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But yeah. more than one Lord and Savior Jesus Christer on this card. So who is it? It could be, you know, I guess the obvious choice seems like Ben Henderson, who can do all things through Christ who strengthens him. But maybe Sir Nigel would try and trick us. Or maybe he would think he would, that we would be tricked and would then... No, screw it. I'm going with Ben Henderson. That's a good guess, man. Uh, uh, you know what? I'm going to say uh, Justin Lawrence. He won, right? No, he did not. Uh, who did he fight? He fought Max Holloway. That's the guy I want to Yeah, pick. Yeah, both of them, though, Lord and Savior Jesus Christers. Yeah, see, that's where I got confused. That was your confusion because you were, in fact, right. It Ooh. is Jerome Max Holloway. Nice. At Blessed MMA. The Blessed One. I should See, I shouldn't have helped you there. I should have let you keep picking Justin Lawrence. I mean, hey, maybe he might have thanked his Lord and Savior, too, even though he lost. I don't know. Yeah. you know, When my Swiss cheese brain kicks in, I think you should just let me roll with it. <laughs> but... I'm going to take this one walking away. Uh, I bet you are. All right, Sir Nigel. Jerome Max Holloway still had to work at his dad's hardware store after the fight. The tweet, the second. It's okay. Since you never allowed me to officially retire, I am now a warrior for peace and ultimate fighter for justice. Uh-oh. Yeah, I think we both have this one dialed. Yeah, and it makes me sad. It does. I'm bummed out. Because this seems like a tweet that was part of whatever is going on with Jason Mayhem Miller. Yeah. Who In is, fact, I know for a fact that it was. So. <laughs> who has now declared himself to be an ultimate fighter for justice and peace or something. Wasn't there a fighter? I think I remember this is one of the like, share dog threads because it was a guy on the Fight Finder whose nickname was like the Hammer of Peace and Justice or something. Truth and Justice, maybe. Sure. Am, I, am I making this up? I have no idea. Are you thinking of the Polish hammer? <laughs> Do you really? Is that a serious question? Yes, I am a Polish hammer fan from way back. Well, I believe that about you. 
Safe to say that one's Mayhem Miller. Jason Mayhem, not such an ironic name anymore, Miller. Well, Sir Nigel's willing to kick a man when he's down. I think that's what we learned here. All right, on to number three. <clears throat> Tweet the third. During Raw tonight, the first commercial break of the second hour, most likely in the middle of some sloppy CM Punk match, my wife is going to kick in the door of my den dressed entirely as Trish Stratus circa 2000. The cowboy hat, silver jacket, the works. There'll be plenty of T and A tonight. Is, is that a tweet or did you just read someone's entire blog? <laughs> that is the beginning of my novel and also coincidentally one tweet from one person. I don't believe that, but I guess uh, I, I this is probably going to be wrong, but I'm going to go with a guy who we know is a professional wrestling fan and a guy who we know also just got married. And that would be friend of the podcast, Danny Boy Downs. Huh? Wow, that's actually kind of genius. Uh, I mean, so I, I can't tell if this is supposed to be something that is actually going to happen, uh, <laughs> or if, if we went entered some kind of fantasy realm. Yeah, hard to say. Yeah, really hard to say. Uh, man, who else is a big pro wrestling fan? That's tough. I, I don't really know any. I'm going to have to go with... Josh Barnett, even though I don't think he's married. Both fine guesses and both friends of the podcast, but it is in fact a third friend, Dave Meltzer. Oh, you son of a bitch, Dave Meltzer. Dave Meltzer. Okay, let's say one thing about Dave Meltzer's Twitter while we're on the subject. For anybody who has met Dave Meltzer in person and then read his Twitter, you would think that they were completely different people. And they're both awesome. That's the weird thing about it. I would describe at Big Dave Meltzer as a must-follow. Absolutely a must-follow. If you are not following Big Dave Meltzer, get on it. I don't think we need to even give you a reason after you just heard that tweet about his wife being dressed up as Trish Stratus and there being plenty of T and A. Both T and A. The fourth tweet. A fighter cannot run with money in his pockets. He must run with hope in his heart and dreams in his head. Number sign... Can't sleep road work time. <laughs> uh, that seemed to be a struggle for you. It was like doing the damn jumble. <laughs> okay, so what we have here is a fighter who seems to be romanticizing poverty. Chad? Uh, to me, it seems like an open and shut case, to be honest with you. <laughs> what, whatever do you mean? I'm going to go ahead and guess the poet, Philip Baroni. Oh, I, I, I want to guess Poet Philip Baroni so badly. Um, screw it. I'm going to go with you. I'm going to say Poet Philip Baroni. The words of the Poet Philip Baroni ring with a clarion call. It is. <laughs> it is the Poet Philip Baroni. Hooray. You have ears to hear him. <laughs> wow. So I guess what he's saying is, you know, when you don't have any money, yeah, yeah, yeah. then you can run fast as shit. Can't sleep road work time. Well you, should, well, you should get some sleep in. It's not going to be good for you if you're just running constantly. Yeah, three, four hours a night, you know. <laughs> Even Forrest Gump got some sleep. Can't sleep later, job work time. <laughs> <laughs> All right, are we down to the last one? Tweet the fifth, the fifth and final. We put a robot on Mars, but no one has still been able to explain to me what a significant strike is. Huh. Astute. Yeah. You, you want to go first on this one, Chad? I guess I have to. I was drawing a blank. Um, let me think here. Uh, I am going to go with this. I'm sure this is wrong, but I'm going to go with a guy who knows his way around an MMA statistic, Carlos Condit. Huh? Oh, okay. That kind of comes out of left field. You know what, though? I think we see a mix of cleverness somebody clearly following the news to reference the the mars rover there um but also you know the the courage to call out the mma establishment i'm gonna say that to me that sounds like the thug jitsu master eve edwards both trenchant observers of the human condition but no it is that friend of the podcast daniel downs at uh, danny boy downs son of a bitch damn a it. prodigal son even if he gets wrong he finds a way onto the podcast he is mordant mordant <laughs> sir hey you know what though i'm gonna say we both did pretty well this time around yeah 
Maybe the most successful master tweet theater ever. I even got one right when I couldn't remember who the guy was. <laughs> you even you got the you thought a wrong guy won the fight and still somehow got it right on master tweet theater. He took it walking away. <laughs> he did take it walking. Speaking away. of which, next week I'll be judging professional MMA fights everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's it for this installment, Sir Nigel. Uh, what does what does rest of your week look like? Well, I will of course go into dress rehearsal for gleaming the cube. We have to get the puppets ready and all of that. <laughs> Well, you know what? I'm just going to say good luck. I'm not, I'm not going to ask anymore about what's going on with those puppets and the cube and the, which will be gleamed. That was Sir Nigel Longstock, everyone. Off to terrorize possibly children. Thank you, sir. Now, on to round two. Round two. Well, two mostly Greg Jackson-trained fighters fought each other last Saturday night at UFC 150, so of course it was a boring snooze fest that went on for 15 long minutes of game planning and point fighting. Oh wait, no it wasn't, it was awesome. Take that, Greg Jackson haters! Donald Cerrone and Melvin Gillard, I think, obviously put on the fight of the night at UFC 150 in that Melvin Gillard floored the hard-charging Cerrone out of the gate only to have Donald Cerrone rebound, come back, stun him with a, a high kick to the head, and then knock him the fuck out with a leaping shot straight to the jaw. Uh, ben, I don't know what we want to say about this fight except to talk about how awesome it was, so maybe you can start us off with that. Okay, first of all, tell me the last time you've seen Donald Cerrone in a boring fight. Well, I would search the old memory banks. I would think never, except that it's true that Donald Cerrone is his own worst critic. Uh, there was what was the one where he uh, he had a real bad one? Was it? Did he have to fight Wagner Rocha? He fought somebody, and he just had kind of a he he won, but it was kind of boring and, and a stinker of a fight. Uh, I, mean, even I don't know has, why you keep asking me these questions where you want me to put something in like historical perspective or recall. Well, a, I was, it was almost a rhetorical question. Okay. The point is... So I sh- just shouldn't have answered at all. Or you, or you should have come up with a very succinct answer. Okay. Uh, Never. <laughs> there you go. Uh, my point is, how do you not like Donald Cerrone? I mean, when you think about... like when you, Especially when you think about it from our perspective as MMA media, where... Uh, my, my new colleague at MMA Junkie, John Morgan, uh, once pointed out to me that he thought the highest compliment an MMA media member could pay to a fighter would be to say, that's a guy I would pay to see fight. Yeah. Uh, since we don't really pay. Uh, or we pay and get reimbursed, you know, when it comes to pay-per-views. But uh, Donald Cerrone has to be top three on everybody's list of guys that we would pay to see fight. Yeah, not only that, but just all around personality wise, like that dude is going to go out there and kick ass in the fight. And he's also going to say rad shit all week <laughs> leading up to the fight. And then, and then right, then after, right the fight. after the yeah. fight at the uh, post fight press conference. Yeah, you know, and the thing is, too, that uh, it was a little interesting experiment in what happens when training partners fight. Because I think we heard a lot throughout the week that, OK, back when they used to spar, Cerrone would get the better of it in the gym. And of course, to Melvin Guillard, that didn't mean anything because sparring was just practice and, you know, it wasn't like going out there with money and brain cells on the line. Uh, but then we saw, you know, Guillard kind of kind of dazed him early. But then Donald Cerrone, true professional, hit it well, recovered well, came back and won the fight. Does that make you think that maybe what goes on in the gym does mean a little more than the fighters would have us believe in those instances? Well, yeah, I mean, I think it has to. I think that... Uh... You know, if nothing else, at least psychologically, uh, going out there and fighting a guy who uh, who you know you have faced a thousand times before in the gym and who, by all accounts, kind of got the better of you for a lot of those times has to leave at least some doubt in the back of your brain. Um, I will say, though, that for about five seconds there, it sure as hell looked like Melvin was going to win. Yeah. Because uh, Donald Cerrone did almost what he did in the Nate Diaz fight where he goes at the very start of the cage or the very start of the fight, comes sprinting across the cage straight into the, the strongest part of his opponent's attack. And this time he got punched square in the face and knocked down on his butt. But as you said, to his credit, he got back up. And, and if, if he wasn't able to shake the cobwebs off, he at least gave that appearance and eventually you know finished the fight right there afterwards. And I think you, that, yeah, you're right. This is a good 
uh, opportunity for us to take a look and see what happens when uh, t- teammates or very recent teammates fight each other. And also maybe a, uh, a good learning experience and example for training partners, because I'm pretty sure that, that Cerrone and Melvin, uh, you know, agreed that they were going to fight each other. Uh, it seemed like they also kind of made a gentleman's agreement about the fact that Melvin was going to uh, miss weight, uh, <laughs> then did fight each other, put on an awesome fight, and immediately, as soon as, 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 soon as it was over, were friends again. So uh, it's not impossible. Yeah, no, it can happen. I th- it makes you think that maybe it's just the being in the gym together during the training camp part is a really hard part, even though Cerrone moved his training camp anyway, even though Melvin wasn't at Greg Jackson's. But here's the thing. Knowing Donald Cerrone's history with Ben Henderson in the WEC, do you think that makes it more difficult for him to earn a title shot as long as Ben Henderson is the champ? Or do you think that the UFC figures, and no one remembers what happened in the WEC, only 20 people watched that. So screw it. We can do anything we want. No one's going to say, hey, I saw it in the WEC. Uh, yeah, um, I think probably a little of both. Uh, the thing that, that, that I come back to is that both Cerrone and Ben Henderson have, for all intents and purposes, looked like wholly different guys since coming into the UFC. Um, almost as if they were saving themselves for being allowed into the octagon and then they were really going to turn it up and, and be, you know, reach their full potential. Well, that's an insane theory. Oh yeah, obviously it's why I laughed halfway through it. Like I, <laughs> I know that that's not actually true, but those dudes like, uh, have both like kicked it up a notch since coming to the UFC. Um, if you would have asked me at the close of the WEC, if I thought Ben Henderson was a future UFC champ, I would have said no. Uh, and now here he is having defeated the previous UFC champ, at least in theory, twice in a row. Here we go. Uh, So, yeah, no, I would definitely uh, want to see those guys fight again, even though they've fought, uh, what, twice before in the past? So this would be their third meeting. I want to see those guys fight in the UFC version of of themselves, uh, just because I think uh, it has the the opportunity to be uh, another awesome fight. And um, I think at least in their second fight, it was kind of like Ben Henderson caught him really fast in a in a, a guillotine choke, yeah. which is Henderson's go-to move, like on a takedown attempt. So, yeah, I think that that fight it could still be interesting and could still be good, and I hope that they put it together, just not necessarily right away. I mean, I know that, that Henderson's going to fight Nate Diaz next, um, and in the Cerrone interim... wants Pettis. Yeah. You know, here's the thing. I feel like maybe I don't want to see Donald Cerrone become the champ, because then he'd only fight two or three times a year. Uh, instead of five or six times a year, like he would really like to. Yeah, you don't know that. So he Maybe can, he goes out there and puts the belt on a line, so on the could, line five times next year. Rack up a bunch of money and then not pay the taxes on that money and then have to use his, his fight night bonuses to then go back and pay the taxes. Hey, man, when the choices are either pay your taxes or buy a couple of awesome matching jet skis for you and Leonard Garcia, <laughs> I think you know what you're going to do. Or, you know, you were going to pay the taxes, but then this awesome bull came up for sale. Uh, and look... Bull like that's not going to come around all that often, you know, maybe and or a really fine custom made pair of chaps. You can't put a price on that, even though the price tag will be on that. But okay, that always makes me wonder, though, about something. I remember talking to Leonard Garcia about this, uh, where he said he learned it uh, when he first started getting a couple fight night bonuses. Uh, Like he got a couple fight, fight of the night bonuses or something when he first fought in the UFC. And he was saying how in his head he thought. Uh, well, now I'll always have money. I will, I will never be not rich again. Yeah. And now he just started going to the mall, bought a Corvette, uh, which then took wow. him a while to pay off. Nice. Yeah, paid off his mom's car. Uh, started doing a lot of that kind of stuff and learned a hard lesson about money. It's hard enough for me to keep on top of stuff like estimated taxes, right. stuff like that. I mean, yeah. if, if I didn't have you know my wife thinking about that kind of stuff, I'd be in the hole to the IRS big time. Yeah. You wonder about how many fighters are out there, you know, maybe not thinking it through all the way. Somebody hands you a check for $60,000 in addition to whatever you thought you were making. It's hard for you at that moment to think about the taxes on that bad boy. Exactly. Yeah. I, I think that I think that that's very true. Um, uh, let's talk before we, we wrap it up just a little bit about Melvin. Because I think we saw flashes from him, as we seem to sort of always do in his fights. Yeah, you always get some flashes. He seems like a guy who has all of the the tools to really, you know, if not become the champion, be around the top of the division for a really long time. But it seems like, 
I don't know if you can say it in this fight, but he's always undone by something. Like in the in the you know we've seen him undone certainly by his submission defense and and what you might you know what I guess some people call mental lapses, but like or what, I mean even in more simple terms, like when he fought Joe Lozon and he seemed to approach the fight as if there was no way he could possibly lose. Yeah. So in this case, do you think he was like is this just a bad break for him or was he undone by some fault in this case? It's weird because you don't want to look at a guy and be like, okay, there's something wrong in your soul that keeps making you do this. Or there's some kind of mental problem that is, you know, you, you think about it with Chael Sonnen too, how he had that kind of history of doing really well and then getting submitted. Uh, but at the same time, how many times does it have to happen before you think this is the, this is a symptom of some greater problem? It's just that I don't know in Melvin's case what that greater problem is. He keeps chaining, you know, he changes coaches, changes camps, you know, one of those guys who, you know, Rampage Jackson used to do this all the time where he would say, Oh, well, now I changed. I tweaked this one little thing. I come. I'm completely different now. Everything's gonna be different. Remember when he did the thing? Uh, I gave up ketchup. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't need anything with ketchup anymore. Everything's gonna be beautiful from now on. Or like, I don't need Cheetos anymore. It was always some kind of junk food thing with Rampage. Looking back on it now, but a lot of guys will do this kind of stuff where it's always something, always something, some little tweak, and now they're the best that they've ever been. And I wonder. Okay, is that the stuff that you say to us, the media, because you think we expect to hear it? Or do you believe it? I don't know. Especially in Melvin's case. I, I don't know. What, if he's trying to fix the wrong things and not focusing on what he should be. But I, I, I couldn't fix it, whatever it is. Uh, before we, we roll on to, into round number three, we're, it's time for one of our recurring features on the podcast. Are you fucking kidding me? Uh, which I think is fairly self-explanatory. Yeah. So maybe are we should just kidding me? we should just get into it. Ben, what, what's your "Are you fucking kidding me?" for week thirteen? My "Are you fucking kidding me?" goes out to one Jake Shields. Hmm. You know, we gave him we gave Jake Shields some time. Yeah. I feel like we yeah. gave him a chance. You know, when he first came in the UFC and had a bad performance against Martin Campman, and it was okay. Well, he had a rough weight cut. Right. You know, to get down for that fight. Barely got the split decision. Okay, moved on. It was enough to get him to fight George St. Pierre. Lackluster showing in that one where, you know, GSP outpointed him. You know, his, his dad dies kind of suddenly, and then he has to fight Jake Ellenberger. That seemed like just a bad situation all around, so no one counted that one against him. Came back against Akiyama. Didn't look that great. Got the decision. But still, hey, you know, he's coming off a rough year. But now, fighting Ed Herman, he gets Ed Herman. To, Ed Herman basically gives him exactly what he wants, clinches with him, makes it, very easy for him to get to the ground. He even secures a couple dominant positions. But the entire fight, Jake Shields looks like he's just trying to get through it. Yeah. Like he's just trying to, to stay in. If he gets mount, his main priority is just staying in mount. Not doing anything from there. Not looking for a submission or, or looking to ground and pound the guy out and really make him pay for that. Just looking to hang around, get through the night. We're giving him enough of a chance. Jake Shields, are you fucking kidding me with this bullshit? You're going to strike force champ, beat Dan Henderson? Are you going to come in here and you're going to fight like this? It's time to get serious about this shit, Jake Shields. Are you fucking kidding me? Wow. Okay. Strong. You came strong with that one. Yeah. Uh, my Are You Fucking Kidding Me goes out to MMA fans on Twitter. Uh, this dude was scheduled to fight Chris Kamozi, and then he gets put into a fight against Yushin Okami. You refer now, of course, to Buddy Roberts. Yes. Uh, and, and he does okay, and all we're going to do is make fun of his appearance. Oh, are you fucking kidding me, MMA fans? Hold up. We should note, one of the MMA fans who was making fun of his appearance was none other than MMA fighter Vinny Magalhaes, who said, I think he started out the tweet as if he was like, oh, man, I'm really impressed with him. He comes in here, gets a, a jump up in competition, faces Okami, does really well. Best performance I've seen him in since Powder. Yeah, no, I did see that Which, one. Which, A, yeah. Funnier than I thought Vinny Magalhaes could be, yeah. but also kind of a dick move. So I guess I should expand that to just be people on Twitter, not necessarily just fans. You feel like Twitter is too mean, that's what you're saying. <laughs> In this case, yeah. I mean, can you imagine being Buddy Roberts and like you take on this big fight and it's like obviously the biggest moment of your career, you're hyped up for it, and then later maybe you go back and check out everybody's timeline and it turns out everybody was just like making fun of your neck? <laughs> Look, I, I can sympathize if people are making fun of your neck because I've been there. People make fun of my neck all the time and it hurts. It, hurt. it cuts you deep. Yeah. Also, awesome Greg Jackson moment of the night when uh, 
your huge underdog fighter goes out there against Yushin Okami, lands a couple of punches, and Greg Jackson screams from the corner, all day long, Buddy Roberts. <laughs> you got to love Greg Jackson. God, man. I wish I had him yelling at me. What I want to know is who's Buddy Roberts' manager, though. Who told him when Chris Camozzi, you know, had to pull out with injury, and then I think who was it? Uh, uh, Paul Harris or whoever it was pulled out a, from Okami and they were like, hey, how about you fight Okami? Who was his manager who was not like, you know what? No. Let's let's wait for Kamosi. Let's wait, let's wait on this one. I assume that Buddy Roberts' manager is Bobby the Brain Heenan <laughs> or Johnny Valiant. Well, or, if it was Bobby the Brain Heenan, you'd know because he'd be standing cage side tapping his temple uh, and then shaking his finger as if to say, no one's smarter than me. That's true. Anyway, to make a long story short, people making fun of Buddy Roberts' neck on Twitter. Are you fucking kidding me, man? Are you fucking kidding me? Anyway, uh, we'll be right back in just a couple seconds with round number three. Round three. Chad, this Saturday night on Showtime, Strike Force returns with women's 135-pound champion Ronda Rousey mm-hmm. taking on former champion Sarah Kaufman. I'm not going to stretch this out any more than necessary. I'm just going to ask you, you as pumped up for this fight as you were for Rousey Misha Tate? Yeah. I mean, just in terms of the actual fight, I think Towsie, uh, Towsie, Rousey and Tate obviously had a uh, a more like ostentatious and bitter feud. Towsie would be if they formed a, a lesbian union. That's what we would like, like Tomcat. If that's what we would call them as Towsie. Right? Wow. Well, uh, there goes all of the progress we've made <laughs> thus far towards <laughs> I'm women's just, MMA. Being... I'm just saying the tabloids would be all on Towsie in a second. Well, yeah, I'm sure that's true. I, I'm just not sure that that was. Oh, we can't say it. We can't say it out loud. <laughs> that's what you're saying. You're trying to censor me. Look, the people from USA who's, Today who's called me. Who's looking over the me, corporate overlords now? And they were like, you need to keep Ben Folks in line. Just a little bit. <laughs> just don't let him say lesbian union. Just just keep him away from that one phrase. As I was saying, Towsy obviously <laughs> had a more ostentatious and like bitter feud leading up to their fight. But I feel like Ronda Rousey against Sarah Kaufman could actually be the better fight because Sarah Kaufman... Why are but, you saying it weird? You're saying Kaufman? Kaufman. That's Kaufman? what's her name is. Sarah Kaufman? Kaufman, Kaufman, same thing. Well, it's clearly not the same thing. Here's the thing. I really like Sarah Kaufman. Yes. As a person. Yes. She seems awesome. She's a fun fighter to talk to. Uh, you know, Ronda Rousey is a, is a fun interview in that she's just going to churn out sound bites for you. Uh, makes me wonder, though, she's been on a bit of a, a PR tour as almost as if maybe Ronda Rousey has bought into the the idea that uh, talent wise she's so far ahead of everybody in the women's 135 pound division that she you know she can do take a little bit more time to be going on talk shows and drumming up publicity by talking shit on more famous Olympians. Uh, in a just world, mm-hmm. I wouldn't think that I wouldn't want that to be true. I fear that it might be true. Yeah. Yeah, but at the same time, like, historically, this sport kind of has a way of just when people seem to be on the verge of reaching their the heights of their commercial success, kind of knocking them down. Uh, we've seen it, and maybe a lot of this had to do with just the individual personalities that smaller MMA promotions were trying to, you know, prop up as, like, the face of the sport in the past. But I feel like, you know, just when— Is that a shot at the Polish hammer? Uh, it was more a shot at Kimbo Slice, who, okay. as far as I know, is not the Polish hammer. Uh, but, but, like, remember, like, when Elite XC was kind of trying to prop up Kimbo Slice, and just when they got to the point where, like, they were going to do this, like, allegedly big fight between Kimbo Slice and Ken Shamrock, fucking shit just went to shambles. <laughs> In a hurry, too. And, like, the same thing sort of happened to Affliction, where, like, Affliction was trying to bring Fedor to America and, like, prop up Fedor as this killing machine, and he beat the shit out of Tim Sylvia. And then right at the point where it seemed like Affliction was going to do this really big fight of Josh Barnett against Fedor, like, Josh Barnett tested positive, and the whole yeah. fucking thing just went to shambles. And then, again, this, like, Strike Force did the exact same thing, where they tried to prop Fedor he, up as this big-time killing machine and then it all went to shambles when it turned out Fedor maybe had crossed that crossed that bridge a long time ago into uh, the the question I wonder though when it comes to women's MMA is do you not think especially since the concern is that the the lack of competitiveness generally all around in women's MMA do you not think that maybe it would be better at least you know in the short term for women's MMA if Ronda Rousey lost 
if we, we saw that it is a more competitive field, it's not just Ronda Rousey and everybody else the way Dana White kind of seems to think it is? I mean, maybe in, in terms of people who, I mean, that might appeal to people who already like the sport. Do you, you know what I mean? Like people, those of us You're who saying are, that people who hate the sport and don't watch it and therefore will never hear about it will be unmoved no, by I'm either not, outcome? No, I'm, I'm referring to like the, the difference between the hardcore fan and the mainstream fan or whatever we call it, the debate that we constantly always have. Like the guy who is already paying attention to the women's middle or women's MMA 135-pound division might find it more interesting if Ronda Rousey lost. Uh, mainstream fan guy who just shows up because he saw her on Dana White's t-shirt or like he saw her on the cover of ESPN's body issue or he got involved in her what Twitter feud with Kim Kardashian is that was that a thing or did I make that up I don't know if she actually successfully managed to make that a Twitter feud but she was on TMZ and stuff talking about Kim Kardashian for that guy it probably immediately kills your interest in the uh, well that's a decent point women's 135 pound division if, if Ronda Rousey loses and you know as we all know the 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 cold and hard fact of the matter is that a lot of times when it comes to either promotion or like uh, I guess promotion of the sport hardcore mixed martial arts guy who's going to watch the show anyway is sort of irrelevant have you seen the betting odds for this fight I have not would you like to know what they are? I know that you just looked them up, so I suppose you're going to tell me no matter what I say. So, yes, I'd love to know. Ronda Rousey, 6-1 to one favorite. Wow. I Man, I feel like you have to take a chance on Sarah Kaufman. Sarah Kaufman, 4-1 to one underdog. Yeah, I feel like you would have to take a chance on that. Especially because you think that when you look at Ronda Rousey's fight against Misha Tate, for every moment that she was on her feet in that fight, she looked lost. Yes. She looked like she was in grave, grave danger. <laughs> yes. Uh, Sarah Kaufman, you know, pretty good little stand-up fighter. If she could stay out of the clinch and keep from getting thrown, you got to think she has a pretty good chance there. Man, However, you are being so sexist this week. It's awesome. <laughs> what, what, are you, what are you saying? You just said Sarah Kaufman was a pretty good little stand-up fighter. Well, so she, what are you going to say now? She's whip smart next. She's a firecracker, I tell you. What? I don't, are you saying that these are sexist terms? Yeah, of course it is. That she's a pretty good little striker? Yeah. I don't think that's sexist. It is, man. What if you were like, oh, man, she's a cute little fighter. Like, it's well, see, that's different. <laughs> no, it's almost the same thing. No. Frankie Edgar, pretty good little counterpuncher. Okay, I see, yeah. Boom, that's in your face, Chad Dundas. <laughs> that's in your fucking face. I don't face. think you would have said that before, I would though. totally have said that. I, I might have said that. Rewind the tape. I don't this think is on you tape, did. right? I almost remember what was said before, and I don't <laughs> think you called Frankie Edgar a good little stand-up fighter. Well, I, no, see, I would have said good little counterpuncher. It's a it's a completely different thing. Anyway, the point, your is, point, the point is, if Sarah Kaufman could just do those, stay out of the clinch, keep from getting thrown, you think, she got to be the favorite. But then you think back to just how easily Ronda Rousey did that to Misha Tate, who is a solid wrestler all around, and she made her look like a child yes. when she got in, got in there close, got her hands on her and threw her around. So. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where you think like, oh, if you could only do this one thing that I really don't like your chances to do, you could be all right. Yeah, you know? I mean, that's the story of Ronda Rousey's career to this point. Like, if anybody, if any well-rounded fighter can keep it on the feet against her, like, they have a pretty good shot. It's just that or but, but you wonder how long that. that's going to be the, the case, right? Because you've got to think that if she is not in the gym every goddamn day working on closing that gap striking-wise between herself and every other fighter in the division then she ought to be. Yeah. She ought to be doing, doing and every, that instead of Conan. Everything that we know about her should lead us to believe that she probably is. Yeah, I would hope so. Anyway, uh, I think what we learned today is that Ben Folk's terrible sexist. <laughs> wow. As I, usual, I'm standing up for equality. and character assassination. All things right with the world. Yeah, like when you did not watch Invicta the night of female fights for the reasons of gender equality. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You were so concerned I with gender equality that you in didn't fact, want to see women in fight. In fact, I struck a blow for women's MMA by not watching that. Yeah, no, because see, I woke up the next day and like it, I got out of bed in the morning and I was like, man, it feels like we're all somehow more equal. I yeah. don't know why. Yes. But I just walking around, I just feel it. And then I found out that you hadn't watched Invicta and I was like, okay, now it makes sense. You sent me that email that was like, God, there's some good little fighters on that card. God, it was cute watching them. You son of a God, bitch. they're little firecrackers. Well, just anyway, twisting my words. Before we wrap it up this week, uh, we will do, as we always do, just saying stuff. The part of the show where Ben and I each make a statement that we are then not 
asked to back up or uh, follow up or support in any way because we're just two guys in a room just saying stuff. Just saying. Ben, what's your just saying stuff for this week? I'm just saying. At UFC 150, we saw Christian fighter Max Holloway, who has the angel wings tattooed on his back. Yes. Then in the main event of that same fight card, we saw another Christian fighter, Ben Henderson, also with angel wings tattooed on his back. I'm just saying we are one fighter with angel wings tattoos away from this being a goddamn epidemic. And it concerns me. We're, we're approaching the point now where either we've got to got to just put a stop to it or one more guy shows up with angel wings tattoos. Somebody's going to have to get bat wings tattooed on their back just to, just to balance us out. I don't know who it's going to be. I, I don't know. Could, could be Josh Barnett. I think it would be a good fit for him. But somebody's going to have to do it. I'm just saying. Just saying. Just saying. Uh, my just saying stuff this week. Nick Lentz is a monster. Oh, boy. Just saying. That's it? That's the show for this week, folks. What? You're just going to stop on Nick Lentz is a monster. Yeah, I didn't feel the need to like drone on for two minutes like you did with your discussion of the Angel Wings tattoo, which, oh. frankly... I feel like you stole from me anyway during our discussion oh, here, here in go. UFC 150. Here we go. When well, then I'm going to just go ahead and pull a Chad Dundas on you and say that uh, your comment about Nick Lentz is racist. <laughs> Could be. Could be. I don't know. It seems and like vaguely xenophobic. I might be both racist and xenophobic of guys vaguely of German descent. Yeah. Could Whatever be. he is. Could be. Anyway, and that's the... Carnyphobic. Uh, that is the show for this week. Next week, we'll recap uh, Ronda Rousey against Sarah Kaufman. And uh, we'll also do uh, all questions answered. All questions answered, maybe. So if you've got questions, send them to us this week. You have a good chance of getting on the air in, in front of literally tens and tens of readers, listeners. The Chad Dundas sexual position question, by the way, asked and answered. So... Come yeah, up with something else. Move on from that one. I'm going to work on my racism. Ben Fulks is going to work on his sexism. Uh, we'll be back next week with another episode of the Co-Main Event Podcast. But for now, that's it. We're done. We're out. You know, you know what I think of Dominic Cruz? What's that? Pretty good little striker. Pretty good little striker. Yeah. Wow. Tell me that's not. Tell me that's not a factual I've statement. Never heard those words come out of your mouth. You, you heard? Well, you haven't started talking about. It. I say it all the time. Mostly, I'm just talking to myself in the shower. Thank you.